Welcome to the Agent of Wealth podcast with Mark Boudis from Boudis Financial. In this podcast, Mark helps guide you towards financial freedom, ensure you never run out of money, and create a balance in life that prioritizes what is most important to you. Join us for this journey as Mark draws from years of expertise and guest experts to solve the multiple wealth building challenges involved in your financial life. Welcome to the Agent of Wealth Podcast. This is your host, Mark Bowdis. The coronavirus is still front and center in our news feeds and probably will be for a while. On today's show, I wanted to discuss what the coronavirus can teach us about a couple of hard-to-explain financial topics. I was listening to one of the press conferences from the Coronavirus Task Force last week, where Dr. Fauci, who is the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, talked about how the coronavirus hospitalizations are a lagging indicator of the impact of the virus. The point that Dr. Fauci was trying to make was that when we see statistics on new cases or new hospitalizations or new deaths from the virus, it's the result of actions that we took two weeks ago and not today. And those actions are things like social distancing, staying home, quarantining, washing your hands, not touching your face. And I wanted to segue that into what indicators are and how they are applied to finance and the economy. So an indicator can be any statistic that's used to predict and understand the tr- understand the trend. You have leading indicators, which point towards possible future events, lagging indicators, which maybe contain a pattern that's in progress. And then there's also a third indicator called a coincident indicator, which occurs in real time and can help clarify things that are going on. And in the financial and economic space, the stock market is a leading indicator. And so what that means is it's already priced in all the information that's currently out there And when the stock market goes up or down, it's because what it thinks is going to happen in the future. And if you really need any more evidence that the stock market is a leading indicator, you can look at last week's performance in the stock market. So the market was up 12% last week. That's a good gain for a year, never mind for just one week. But the news that came out last week was actually terrible. There was over 6 million unemployment claims. We crossed over 10,000 deaths from the virus in the United States. There was also talk about how bad the recession is going to be. All of that's negative information, yet the stock market was up. So we'll talk a little bit about why that's happened. But if anyone's talked to me over the past couple of weeks, the concept that always comes up is whether they should try and time the market. So take their investments out of stocks, put them in cash, wait until the, the market comes back, and then wait until it looks like things are clear and things are starting to look up, and then invest. And the theory is that You'd sell now, and then at the lows, you can buy and then ride the gains all the way up. But because the stock market is a leading indicator, it's impossible to time like that. By the time that it looks like the virus is under control, the economy is going to get started up again, the market will have already recovered the drops that it's had over the past month and a half, and you'd essentially be buying back where it was or even at new highs. And you know we can look to 2008 and 2009 as a classic example of this. All the bad news that we're hearing around unemployment, poor earnings from companies, numbers around the virus, it's all factored into the stock market already. So it's, it's really impossible to time that, to take that information and try and make a decision for the future about that because that information is already priced into what stocks are priced right now. now some of the other indicators that we hear a lot uh, about are uh, new jobless claims, new housing starts, which really gauges the health of the housing market or volatility in the bond market is looked at 
as an indicator of what stocks will do in the future. So if there's little or no volatility in the bond market, it's usually a good precursor that stocks may have a gain versus the opposite, where if there is volatility um, in the bond market, which means fluctuating prices, most most of the time volatility is used to describe fluctuating prices on the downside. Um, Usually when prices go up, you don't really hear about volatility in it. But usually volatility in the bond market is looked at as an indicator on where stocks are going to go. An indicator that we heard a lot about in 2018 was the inversion of the yield curve. And what that is thought to represent is that it's a leading indicator that there's going to be a recession in, in the near future. So the yield curve is a graphical representation of yields on similar bonds across different maturity dates. An inverted yield curve represents the situation where long-term bonds have lower yields than short-term bonds of the same credit quality. And why this is strange or this is of note is because usually you get paid more interest when you take on a bond or a fixed income instrument with a longer maturity date. But when a yield curve is inverted, you're actually not rewarded to take on longer debt. You actually have a higher interest rate with a shorter maturity date bond, which is the opposite of what typically happens. And it actually looks like this indicator is going to be correct because we most likely are probably going to have a recession. But it's probably more of a coincidence as the cause of the recession now was the spread of the coronavirus and not anything that could have been predicted or foreseen in 2018. So this brings us to our next topic, which is really similar to indicators, and that's of projected numbers versus actual numbers. And I don't know if you ever followed a company's release of their quarterly earnings and you were left scratching your head when something like this happens. A company reports which would seem like great revenue, great earnings, great net income, maybe their revenue was up 30% and their net income was up 40% over the previous quarter. And those numbers seem great. Like who wouldn't want to have or be a part of a company that's growing at that clip? But right after the numbers come out, the stock price nosedives. Well, that's because while the actual numbers were great, the projected numbers were probably higher and they probably fell short of projected numbers. So maybe last year or at some point previously, the company came out and said, we're expecting to have 35% revenue growth. So when the revenue growth came in at 30%, the stock tanked because it was expecting that that extra 5% or that 35% revenue growth. When the projections came out or when the, sometimes the stock market makes its own projections and it doesn't necessarily need a company saying we project our revenue growth is going to be 30% or 35%, the stock market will make a guess or make a determination of what it thinks the projections for the company will be. So that's why sometimes you'll see even if a projected growth was at 30% or 35% and it comes in lower than that, uh, the stock may react one way or the other because the market was actually predicting it was the number would have been even different than that. So the projections are really what's what's important in terms of how a stock is going to react to its earnings or to other information that comes out about it. And the reverse can happen as well. A company can be expected to grow by 20%, but its growth comes in at 25% and you'll see a stock pop up. This is why you'll see companies uh, sometimes that don't earn any money or have negative income. So they lose money each quarter, yet their stock price continues to go up. And that's because the market's not looking at its current earnings. It's basing the price of the stock on what it thinks it will earn in the future. And one of the classic examples of this over the 90s and the 2000s was Amazon, where every year or every quarter, Amazon would come out and they would say, oh, we lost this much this quarter and we lost this much this quarter. But what they were doing is they were basically reinvesting all their revenues back into the company 
And at some point, they turned a profit and they haven't gone back since. And if you would have made that bet on Amazon or, or bought Amazon in its early days, even knowing that it wasn't making money at the time, you obviously would have been rewarded handsomely and, and have you know seen road the, the enormous growth that Amazon stock price has had. So about a month ago, the projections for deaths related to the virus in the U.S. came out. The projection was that there would be anywhere from 100,000 to 250,000 deaths in this country. And forget about the fact that it's a wide range for a statistic in general. But when that number comes out, the market factors that into its price. And definitely the market, one of the things that it's been factoring in has been numbers around the virus. But the past week, in one of the press briefings about the virus, President Trump stated that there are revised death numbers, and now we can expect approximately 60,000 deaths and not 100,000 to 250,000. So that number was better than what the market was expecting. And therefore, it was one of the reasons we saw a bump in the stock market last week. So another question that comes up a lot when I talk to people is, you know, what stock should I buy to take advantage of the current market situation? And they'll bring up a stock like Zoom because everyone's using it now for video conferencing. And it probably even has a strong future for the company, even when the economy opens back up again and we start actually going back to the office. But the problem with the strong future is that it's already priced into the stock price. Whether Zoom or stocks that fit in this bucket outperforms or not in the future, it's going to be related to whether it exceeds or falls short of those future projections. And this is not to say that Zoom is a good or bad investment. They may continue to have explosive growth. The point I'm trying to make is that it's not a secret that everyone's using Zoom right now or that Zoom is synonymous with video conferencing, but all that is already priced in. It really comes down to how is Zoom going to do in the future compared to what it's projected to do in the future. So if you're trying to outperform the market, you have to focus on stocks that you think will beat their projections. We all know that Apple is going to sell a ton of iPhones or that Netflix is going to get a lot of subscribers, but is it more than what they were projected to do. And that's really the, the key to determining whether a stock price is going to go up or not go up. The other projection that the market is implicitly making right now is when the economy is going to open up again. So the market has a projection on how long it thinks the economy will be closed for and how much economic damage it thinks will be inflicted. Now, make no mistake, no one knows when the economy is going to open up again, but the market already is making a projection on when it thinks it will and how much economic damage it thinks the economy can withstand before things really go bad. So if the economy opens up sooner than what the market thinks, we'll see a pop. If it takes longer than what the projection to open up is, we'll probably see a drop in the market. And the, the market's always adjusting to both new information that comes out as well as what it projects to happen. Uh, so the problem with making investment decisions on new information that comes out is that the market's already priced that information in. But what the saying is that the market has priced in all available information that's that's out there. And it's really looking at, you know, how does that number come out compared to what the market's priced to? So now I want to move on to one of the most powerful concepts in finance, and it's the power of compounding interest. So Warren Buffett's talked a lot about how important compounding interest is, but I find myself using too many Warren Buffett quotes. So I'll use one from Albert Einstein on compounding interest. And Einstein famously said that compound interest is the most powerful force in the universe. He said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. He who understands it earns it. He who doesn't pays it. 
But before we start talking about compounding interest from an investment perspective, I want to discuss how it applies to viruses and obviously specifically about the coronavirus. So we've heard about the flattening of the curve ever since the virus began to spread here in the U.S. And the curve represents how quickly the virus can spread. It starts off slow, but then grows exponentially quick. And the shape of the curve represents a hockey stick. Let's take a look at some of the numbers to explore this a little bit further. The initial projection was that every person infected with the virus would infect between one and a half to three and a half people. So for the purpose of this, we're going to use two. We're going to say that every person that gets um, infected with the virus infects two additional people. So on day one, we have one person that's infected. On day two, we have two more people that are infected. On day three, those two people each uh, infect two people. So there's four new infections. On day four, there's eight new infections. At the end of 15 days, there are over 32,000 people infected. So think about that. One person infected 32,000 people. So that's, that's how quickly the virus can spread. And it's because of compounding. It's because each person that gets infected, they each infect a couple people. It's not just that original person that's infecting additional people. It's everyone that that person has infected infects new people as well. So there's a famous example similar to this on the investing side where uh, someone will give you the choice of would you rather have a penny that doubles each day for a month or $1 million? And I'll spare you the surprise, but you can probably guess which one is you're going to come out with, with more money. If you took the single penny and doubled it every day for a month, you'd have $5,368,709 after 30 days. So these two examples highlight the power of the financial concept of compounding. Now let's let's talk a little bit about really how this, this works with investing. So compounding, it's, it's the interest that it, you can look at it as the interest that an investor earns on his original investment, plus all the interest earned on the interest that's accumulated over time. So let's look at an example that will, will explain this. And first we'll take simple interest, which is the opposite of compounding interest, which is just interest earned on your principal investment. So let's say you invest $1,000 in a bond that pays 10% interest. After year one, you would have received $100 of interest. After year two, you would have received another $100 of interest. After year three, same thing, another $100 of interest. So let's say this goes on for, for 10 years. At the end of the 10 years, you would have $2,000. So you would have your initial $1,000, plus 10 years of interest each year, gaining, getting you $100 of interest. So now let's look at a similar example, but let's look at how compounding comes into play. So let's say you're, you're actually compounding your interest in this case. So we start off with that same $1,000 investment in a bond that pays 10% interest. So after year one, we're still the same. We receive that same $100 of interest. However, it is reinvested in the bond. So next year, Year two, we actually receive $110 of interest. And that's because we're receiving interest on $1,100, not $1,000. So after year three, we actually receive $121 of interest. And if we do the same as the example above and we do it for 10 years, at the end of 10 years, we would have received $2,593. And that's your $1,000 initial investment plus the additional 1,593 of interest that accumulated over that, that time. So when you compare the two examples, you'll have 25% more at the end of the 10 years if your interest compounds 
rather than if it's just straight linear interest. And obviously the interest rate that you receive and the length of time that your investment compounds, it magnifies the overall return that you'll receive. And one of my favorite investment types where you can take advantage of this is by including dividend paying stocks in your portfolio and reinvesting the dividend. So let's say you purchase 10 shares of Apple stock and Apple pays a dividend that you reinvest and purchase another share of Apple stock. Now you have 11 shares of Apple. The next time Apple pays a dividend, you receive a a dividend on 11 shares and maybe you can purchase now two more shares of Apple. This continues to go on and over time you can accumulate a substantial portfolio that kicks off a lot of cash flow. So I work with a number of people who have done this over time and are using dividends solely to pay their retirement expenses. On episode 20 of the, the podcast, I talked about using rental real estate to grow your portfolio and cash flow. But rental real estate is a type of linear interest and not compounding. Because if you think about it, when you receive your rent and you pay your expenses, your net income that's left over, you can't reinvest it directly in that in that existing rental property to get a higher rent. I mean, you can implicitly do it by maybe making some kind of capital improvements or repairs that can increase the rent. But whatever the the net income that you receive, that's the net income that you're going to have and you're going to have to find something to do with it. But on that episode, I do talk about how you can build up your net income and use that to purchase additional properties, which does have a similar uh, effect to compounding. The other part of real estate that does have a compounding aspect to it is your mortgage payment uh, or your mortgage pay down over time. So if you ever looked at your mortgage amortization schedule, which is the monthly month by month breakdown of your mortgage payment and how much goes to principal and how much is broken up and goes to interest, you'll see that at the beginning of the loan, a majority of your monthly payment goes to pay interest. But there's a little bit of that payment that goes towards the principal and reduces the principal that you owe on the loan. So the next month, the interest that you owe or pay is calculated on that slightly lower principal amount. So the next month, a little less goes to interest and a little more goes to principal. This repeats itself every month and pretty soon a majority of your payment is paying down the principal and a small amount is going towards interest. And one way to accelerate this even further is by paying in an extra amount each month or an extra uh, payment at the end of the year which solely goes to principal, which lowers your principal even more, and therefore more of your future payment goes to principal and not interest. So a pretty cool calculation tool to figure out compound interest, and it's easy to do in your head, is what's called the rule of 72. So the rule says that to find the number of years required to double your money at a given interest rate, all you have to do is divide that interest rate into 72. So for example, if you wanted to know how long it would take to double your money at 8% interest, you divide eight into 72 and it'll come out to nine years. So it would take nine years to double your money at an 8% interest rate. So that wraps up this week's show. I I really just wanted to talk about a couple of concepts that we've been hearing about a lot in the coronavirus and show how they also apply to the finance and investing world. And I've been bombarded with a lot of questions recently about the CARES Act. On my previous two episodes, I talked about how best to take advantage of the stimulus package. If you have any questions, you can schedule a call with me by going to my website, bowdisfinancial.com, and on the top right is a link to schedule a call. If you have any questions about investing and how you can take advantage of compounding interest, I would be happy to talk with you about those as well. Appreciate you tuning in today. Until next time, this is Mark Bowdis. Thank you for listening to the Agent of Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. 
The information covered represents the views and opinions of the guests and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Boutis Financial. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for professional financial planning and investment advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investments and financial planning.